When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I've got Rich Possum back here to talk about what's happening on the overall economy. And Rich, how are you doing this morning, man? Good, thank you. It's, uh, well, let's start with this first. So talk a little bit about what's going on in your area. Has it been dry, getting rain? What's happening out in, in the uh, upper upper New York up there? It's been volatile. We go through periods of surprisingly dry and high, high winds. Um, and then when it rains, it's not like a one-day event. It rains for a week, okay, right. or yeah. three or four days at least. And uh, surprisingly, uh, I was planting trees here around Earth Day time. I did 700 trees, my wife and I, and, and we did it by hand. My latest equipment hadn't shown up yet, tractor and all that stuff. And uh, it was getting dry when I first started planting. I was getting nervous. And then we wound up planting for four days and pouring rain. Okay. So, and and we were glad to do it. I thought it was a good way to get the tree started. But I got to tell you, we've gone not quite a week of dryness. And boy, I'm surprised how well the soils have, have dried out already. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been uh, removing brush on our newest property here and with my newest tractor and brush hog. And I just... 
uh, I was shocked. I was going down some steep banks and I thought, man, I'm probably just going to slide right off the hill here. And I, uh, the soils were drier than I expected after all that rain. Uh, I had great traction, not a problem. Yep. So, and, and I'm already back hoping we're going to, in theory, we'll get a rain in a couple of days here. And in my opinion, we already need it. Uh, the guys are really sucking in the corn right now. Uh, they thought they were getting an early start this year and they're now, they're okay, but they were getting nervous of being late. And then, boy, they were really putting it in yesterday. Yeah. Yep. Same out here. We've got, we've, we've been dry. I mean, incredibly dry. Look at the drop map and we're, they made a new color for the drop map for out here. So um, <laughs> it's not dry, but we've had, it started raining, I think Tuesday, Monday night, something like that. And uh, it, uh, it's not stopped since. So I think we've got <laughs> three or so inches of rain or more. Um, and supposed to have, a couple more might end up with four or five inches of rain out of this whole deal. I think if I'm reading the forecast correctly um, through this week, and then looks like next week, there's a, some chances there too. So it's that time of the year when guys need to be planting, but uh, I think they're, they're willing to take a week off for some rain when, when we got as dry as it's been. So it'll be, it'll be a, uh, it'll be a much needed thing, but to your point, I mean, you know, you, it'll stop raining and we get all this rain and we thought we'd have so much moisture from all the snow that we got. And we really didn't have that much moisture in the ground either. So, um, yeah. obviously this is going to be way, way more moisture than we got out of that snow, but it won't take long for it to dry up if it stays windy and hot, you know, if it turns that way quick. So the interesting times we're living in right now, Rich, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the economy. So I don't know how we not talk about this, but this is the, uh, Oh, uh, whatever, whatever, uh, parties in power at the time, um, they all get super conservative and everybody wants to go out and talk about how bad it is and do everything they can do to, to bounce around it to the last possible minute and they approve it. But the debt ceiling's back up for, uh, for increase, I guess. And I guess rich looking at what's going on, you got the Republicans now that are saying, I just don't know if we can do this or not. It's just, Oh my God, what are we going to do? And, um, the repercussions of not doing it are a hell of a lot bigger than the repercussions. Well, I mean, I guess it's, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess at this point, but it's, as you're looking at the, the debt ceiling situation, Rich, what are your thoughts there and how do you see it affect the economy and the overall market? Yeah. If you go back decades, you could see we've always kicked the can down the road and I'm not so sure that's a correct, fair way of looking at it. Um, to truly fix it, however, we should do away with this business that uh, the debt ceiling is just going to go up anyways, and we don't do this debating that uh, we need to do something different in terms of how do we control our costs on the government and the debt, and we shouldn't be coming down to these debt ceilings as another tool uh, to do it. But if you look at the history, uh, we've always fixed it, if you can call it that. Um, sometimes at the last minute, at a scary moment, but so far, we haven't slid over into default. Now, if we slide over into default, I say commodities are going to crash, real estate, stock market, everything's just going to crash. It is possible interest rates actually explode, however, and, and the dollar could be flaky. It could crash or explode. So just assume a big move one way or the other. There are people telling me that commodities actually ought to explode down the road, how they view it and that kind of thing. It can set up an inflationary scenario, but I think it, commodities would crash first and then maybe uh, rebound quickly or something. So whatever it is, it's not a good scenario. And there's some very good bank leaders out there warning Congress, you know, don't play with this thing. Yeah. Okay. It's not worth it. This is not how we should be doing business. 
Uh, if you look at the track record, you'd say, well, you know, we never have done it. So why would we? And this is some things in the stock market. Last week, we had a hearing, congressional hearing on this debt ceiling, and the stock market was very weak. And it triggered a signal in my model saying we ought to be lower this week. Well, it didn't happen. And I was stunned by that because this model is very accurate. And I said, well, what's going on? Why didn't it happen? Well, it was really just over speculation off that hearing that it sounded bad. It kind of scared them, but they were just playing games on a very short-term basis in the stock market. Really, I think the stock market is on board the idea, hey, we always fix this or kick the can down the road. It will work again. And, uh, and the interesting thing, if we throw out this worries over the debt ceiling, I think the economy is getting better. I just looked at some March uh, consumer spending, and granted, they put on debt, and we don't want to hear that. But overall, it looks like healthy spending. We've done actually healthy all this year. The jobs are doing great. Uh, the available jobs is declining at a fast pace, but it's so high that I don't care. The model doesn't care. Um, we're getting back to a normal economy here. Um, inflation. The month-to-month inflation rate is really back to what it normally does. It's a little uh, fast-paced still bouncing around, but it's at the levels that we would normally expect. And then the overall trend of inflation is, as of this morning, one of the daily uh, services I follow went to a new low for the year. It's a new low for the down move since last April or June. So the trend is down. On inflation, you know. So I think this debt ceiling, unfortunately, is just kind of a nuisance here. And we do a theory we have to June 1st. Now, it seems to me last year, or maybe it was the year before, <clears throat> we also came down to a June 1st. And then suddenly, well, no, it's June 8th, and maybe it's July, and maybe it's August. So when we'll run out of money? <laughs> so <clears throat> we may see some change in how they're discussing this here. In coming days, but for the moment, I'm I'm assuming the markets are assuming got to get it done by the first of June, or we are in trouble. And uh, no question about it, if we go into default, you know, it, I think it's going to create more of a crashing moment than anything else here, and it's going to be ugly. And we will get over it; we will recover. But the point is, it will reduce our credibility within the world. Uh, for those who think, you know, people are going to be using the U.S. dollar less, this would be a default would be a great way to damage yeah. the dollar, you know? Pretty, <laughs> um, way to mess that up, yeah. So, yeah, you know, it won't really be an end of world scenario. It's just, unfortunately, especially for the younger generations, I would tell them, guess what? You're not going to have as good a stock market in the next 30, 40 years. You're not going to get as good paychecks. You're going to see higher costs, you, you know, but it's not an end of world scenario. They'll still make good livings. They'll still have... It just won't be as good as it could have been, you know? So we don't want to mess with this thing. And I think really on the Republican side, it's holding out and saying, well, we got to get some extra things here. You know, they'll either give in or maybe Biden will give in some too, and they'll they'll achieve a balance. I think we'll get it done. But the point is, the stock market at least might be quite nervous. Commodities don't seem to be paying any attention to it at the moment. Um uh, I, I think the decline in commodities lately has really been the realization inflation is coming down and uh, we are rebuilding the supplies. <clears throat> the supply chain has been fixed. Um, so I don't think there's worries there on on this debt ceiling, um, but there could be, and maybe I'm not picking up on it, but commodities have been weak here recently and, and they're helping to bring down that inflation rate. 
but I, um, uh, this, this, this morning, I'm just telling all my clients, customers, uh, subscribers, hey, um, you know, we can get a slap down here in the stock market any day now to the end of the month. I had warned them last month the market was going to be off this month, and it was, uh, but it was a little bit different than what I thought. And I think most of the selling's out of the way. I'm not convinced I got the bottom I'm looking for, but I think it's going to occur higher than what we saw in just the last couple of weeks. I, I think the selling is pretty much over and I'm bullish for June, July, but that's because I also think we're going to fix the debt ceiling. So uh, maybe I'll be wrong in June or July, but I don't think so. So, and I'm quite bullish for the rest of this year. I, I think the stock market is going to start speeding higher now. And, uh, but this debt ceiling is a nuisance. And, uh, but I, hopefully it's going away in just the next two weeks here. And uh, because if you throw that out, I'm, I'm sorry. I know the bears are still out there and some of them think this market's going down a huge amount. We got economic problems, but boy, this week we had some people that assumed we were in recession and they're saying, guess what? It's over. And you still have people thinking we're going in recession, but some of them seem to be backpedaling a little bit. Maybe it won't happen, you know? Right. And, and I just like some of these indicators. I, I think, um, you know, my one of my favorites are the PMIs, and I tend to follow the manufacturing, and that may be a little flaw in my thinking there that I should be focused more on the services, but they generally do the same thing. That's why I've never switched, but services are the larger portion of our economy now. We don't manufacture as much as we used to, but the manufacturing, one of them has been dragging its feet, but I think it's bottomed a little later than I wanted. Another one, however, put out by a different company, bottomed when I said, as far as I can see, it's looking good. So if we can bring that other one on board now, get the, the right foot to go with the left foot here, I think we're going to be okay. Uh, GDP's at 1.1%, I believe, for the last rating here. Um, I, I think that's moving higher in the next couple of years. I think and you know, for the rest of this decade, we'll see two and a half to four and a half GDP. That's really good. I think we'll see inflation come down to eventually to two. I'm not convinced it comes down as fast as some people are projecting. I hope they're right. Some of them think we're going to be down there in a matter of just a few months. Um, but I uh, overall, I think for the rest of this decade, we're looking at about two to three percent inflation, maybe a surge in a few years towards the end of this decade to four, four and a half. And my model's saying, don't be worried about that. That's that's not a problem. It's it's not going to last long enough to. Do damage, but it is enough to keep interest rates bouncing around two to four percent here. And I am bearish interest rates into 2025. I think it's over and done with. It's it's coming down, and the model has done very well for me last year and this year on interest rates, or even since 2020 when I called a super cycle bottom and uh, interest rates rate to the month. Don't know as I called it to the day. I didn't pay any attention to that, but um, so everything's on track. It's just, uh, at least for the moment here, uh, this debt ceiling is kind of a nuisance. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I will stay optimistic here. And I, I think stock market people are going to be feeling pretty happy by the end of this year. And uh, and I think overall, the economy will be doing better. I mean, and anybody's done great in the last couple of years, they're probably not going to do so well. It's their turn to back off. <laughs> But there's, you know, others who haven't done or I think they're I think they're going to have some happy moments coming. 
So talk a little bit about, okay, so interest rates are crazy. You got this, un- this uncertainty with the whole debt ceiling thing. Typically, that makes metals go crazy when you see those kind of things happen. <clears throat> Gold's done that. Gold, you've seen gold take off and run, and it's, I haven't looked at it for a while, but last time I looked, it was almost 2000 bucks an ounce. I don't know if it's quite over that yet or not, but I guess looking at looking at gold, Rich, what are your thoughts there? And and, and I guess is this, it always seems like gold's kind of a short-lived thing. You get a big spike up, and then it kind of trickles down, and it... <clears throat> And it spikes back up again and it's so that trickle down it's not fast typically but it's a it's a steady decline so i guess talk about gold a little bit yeah uh last year gold went slipped below a price level i had when it said okay be bearish gold into 2025 in fact gold may not be higher for the rest of the decade or not to a new record high for the rest of the decade uh the problem is the model said there's a certain type of long-term business cycle that is kind of broken up choppy it could rebound a sizable amount into a top this year well lo and behold it did it so i'm sure some people when they they look at how i'm explaining this are saying gee you said from last year it'll be down into 2025 but here we've come all the way back but at least i warned that was a possibility we've done it and the model saying now we're going to put in uh a a long-term top and it may even be more important than uh, when i originally thought now the problem is fine-tuning that I can see it topping right here, right now, but I could see where we've got a few more months to go. So I, I may be early on this. It, it may give me some problems through the summer months, but I think it tops this year and goes down into 2025. And uh, some of this buying, obviously, lately has been debt ceiling uh, worries, but there's been other types of buying where they were concerned over recession. They were concerned over various things going wrong around the world and politically. And the central banks have been buying uh, quite a bit here. But as I studied how they buy, sometimes that's not all that meaningful. It doesn't last. Even if they do it for quite a while, it doesn't seem to impact the market the way I would expect it. I don't think it's all that bullish. And I can't tell are the central banks done. I think they're about done if they're not. And uh, so I think this uh, gold market is rather high priced here. I can't rule out a few more months upside. I can't rule out even a minor new record high here. But I ultimately got to be bearish into 2025. And it's interesting that gold is willing to, 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 the gold model is showing that because as I look at some of the commodity index, like the Goldman Sachs commodity index, it triggered what we call time stops. And a time stop is simply where we say a certain forecast. If something, something hasn't taken place by a certain time, then we've got to look the other way. Uh, we've got to look at another forecast. And it triggered this for that commodity index. And it's basically just saying there can be sizable bounces this year and next year. But overall, the commodity index is going lower into 2025. Now, that index is primarily driven by oil. And we're seeing the same thing with oil. Yes, it can bounce back to maybe even as high as $100 sometime this year or next. But overall, it ought to be lower into 2025. I mean, it at least is going to be back down if they, they bounce it. And I'm kind of surprised with gasoline. Why have they not already bounced it for the summer driving season? It's done little to nothing on the futures. Uh, the cash price actually performed a little better the upside than the futures. So, you know, the oil boys are getting <laughs> more than their fair share here at the moment. But I... um I think this is going to work out. There, there can be some bullish moments in many of these commodities, even in gold. But overall, looking out to 2025, I think it, they'll be back down. 
I don't think some of these commodities are going all the way back down to the lows seen in recent years. I think the inflation is building in a, a higher bottom in the future here. But I think we can still see some nice declines in in these commodities. And I think we'll see uh I think we'll see gold go down. I just want to warn you, I can be a little little early here, but I am comfortable on saying uh, we want to look for a top in gold. And uh, granted, going into a debt ceiling, um, maybe go or uh, yeah, if we go into a debt ceiling crisis, uh, we go into default, maybe gold would actually collapse because of a deflation depression worry. But I, it feels like to me, at least the gold bugs would prefer to buy it on any kind of a disaster. <laughs> so uh, I'm right. going to assume, I'm going to assume it will explode, but I, uh, I could see how that might not actually work out that way. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> Okay, so you hit on oil a little bit. Oil has been, I tell you what, it's been stuck in kind of a, a rut there. I mean, it's it's not, it'll, you have a, a 5 or $6 run up, and you have a 5 or $6 run off, and, and you're looking at where it's at, and it's kind of just hovering in that same spot. If you're looking at it right now, I haven't seen what my commodity report but for, for the, today. Let me see if it pulled up here real quick. Um, so last night at the close, uh, I guess, sorry, when the overnights opened up, uh West Texas oil was 7137 and Brent crude was where you at? There you are. 7541. Huh. It's been it's been kind of hovering in that mid yeah. 70s to upper 70s range and it's not really gone anywhere and it can't really find a, a reason to go anywhere else other than that. So I know it. So talk yeah. a little bit about that and where can you just talked about you think going into 25 that you think you're going to see some some of a, a bit of a slide there and oil. talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I at least see oil, you know, back to the the, the <laughs> 70 on down to 65, I wouldn't even rule out 60 by 2025. What's frustrating is it's not an outright defined bear market. It's got some other conflicts when suddenly oil might go 80, 90 and then by 2025, it's still back to 70, 65, 60. Okay. I'm not forecasting 50, 40. There's a few people out there actually think in coming years it's going that low. I think for 50 or 40, that may wait to the end of this decade when we have a cyclical recession, economies hurt, the stock market's down, land prices down, commodities, <laughs> everything down. That's that's where I could see or when I could see a $40 barrel uh, oil. But uh, and I'm not seeing that now. I think it's somewhat lower by 2025. And it was fascinating. I wrote about a month ago or just a few days before OPEC come out and cut production. I wrote that I got these time stops and I said, we're coming close in a matter of just a few weeks. If oil moves a bit lower, triggers those time stops, even if they want to slam it back up to 90, it's coming all the way back down. And it's going to be down by 2025. I said, it's just, that's the, that's going to be the signal. And it was surprising me just a few days later, OPEC comes out and says, well, we're cutting production. And some of the better oil people I follow within Wall Street and with the commodity industries, they felt like what OPEC was doing was not necessarily trying to drive oil prices higher. They were just saying, hey, you've backed off oil price enough and we're going to do something to provide a floor. And that's basically all it's done. I mean, it got a bounce that day that they announced the, you know, the cut, but it's just withered away. It's just uh, eroded back. So I think they've tempered the downside here, but I think something has changed in that supply and demand that there's a bit more supply than the demand. 
even if you could argue I'm wrong and the volume of demand is greater than the supply, then the demand side's actually holding out for a better price. They're not that aggressive, even if they need more oil than, than what the supply suggests is there. They just don't want to pay for it. So the economics have changed here. I'm not that concerned of paying higher at the pump in the next few years in the sense of something sustainable. I don't think we're paying higher for the next three years, you know, but don't be surprised we see jumps. Okay. And again, I, and I don't think the only way to hurt the economy now is you're going to put oil hundred over a hundred bucks. And I, I don't see that occurring. So um, if you run it up fast, maybe we can scare the stock market a little bit, but I uh, overall, I don't see any damage coming here. And uh, so I would say, Kind of subdued prices here, calming down for a while. And even if they put it up pretty good this year or next, I think by 2025, you'll see these prices are lower. Yeah. Okay. So when you're looking at, so everyone you talk to, as soon as China opens up, it's just going to be a, a deluge of, of buying. And and Sean even brought something up. Uh, Hackett brought something up the other day talking about, um, First time in seven years that that India's had um, to go out and buy um, exports, uh, bring in exports, uh, imports, I guess, into uh, into India, and looking at um, if they do have a crop problem with the El Nino coming in. So it's El Nino here, it'll be El Nino over there, um, or La Nina. I'm sorry, La Nina over there. It'll it'll give uh, uh, some crop growing situations that may not be that great. So there could be some some panic buying involved in that. So if you have you know, India and China both come to the table and say, hey, we're going to buy a bunch of commodities. Hey, we're going to buy a bunch of fuel, this, that, and the other thing. Um, Two-thirds of the world's population buying just like crazy. I guess as you look at your model, as you look out in the future in your crystal ball, what do you see with that? And how do you think that's going to affect, if at all, the marketplace? Yeah, well, that's the issue. I just said commodities probably lower into 2025. But the reason I warned is some bounces along the way is I can see in the grains or just any crop market, there could be, that may be why these commodity indexes can bounce from time to time. I can see some weather issues, crop issues this year, next, maybe into 2025, but that's that's getting a little bit too late. Um, so I could see those surprises coming in to drive those markets higher, but I think what it's going to be is like a straight up, straight down move, okay? Yeah. Uh, I think we'll immediately fix that supply the year following. And even though I'm my climate stuff is oriented towards the U.S. more than the world. Um, the crop problem I'm looking for, if it were to occur this year, would be Northern Hemisphere, just because of the timing right now. Uh, but it can be global. And it could be the more important issue isn't the U.S., it's somewhere else in the world. So India, they can certainly have issues here. There's parts of Asia that can have issues. China, I'm not so sure on. It seems like it's been too long to have a major problem, but I'm not coming up with anything to forecast a major problem. Uh, Europe, definitely over the past few years, has had some issues. You know, Portugal, Spain, I mean, I was over in Portugal in January I'll tell you what, we we uh, visited some uh, wineries and uh, boy, there was one I could see. They were there, all of their grapes are on site, hills, it's rolling hill, mountainous, it's very rocky, naturally drier soils. But boy, what a, what a beautiful uh, port wine they produce. And yet they said last year, they said it really scared them and they've, they keep, uh, Excellent records, very detailed records. Every day they're recording how well are those grapes going? What's the condition of the soil? What's the weather? 
And they said they can see there's truth to climate change. Uh, they just said it is so obvious and they're going to, ner- they're nervous. Where's the future going? Cause they said things can turn so hot and dry so quickly. Um, so any of this can pop up and create some fires for us here that can create a bullish movement in some of these commodities. And you have cattle and dairy, which I don't study as nearly as often as I used to. It's a minor input to the grains, and I just don't have the interest in trading those markets. But I wouldn't be surprised cattle can be firm into next year. That can help support some of these commodity indexes a little bit. But their day is coming to back off, you know. So, uh, yeah, we want to keep an eye on India. It's that time of year to do it. and obviously, China's coming up. I mean, they have the, pretty much the same growing season that we have in the U.S. So we got to watch out for these things. They're there. Unfortunately, on the weather side, and I like Sean's uh, research, and he's far more detailed than I. Just uh, I stick to specific cyclical modeling of temperature and precipitation, and it's helped me tremendously in, in decades. But I don't get quite as precise as some. And I, I know what he's looking at, and we can have a crop problem this year. But right at the moment, I'm seeing things that have backed off a bit. I'm a little concerned it's actually next year. But how I'm approaching this, and when I'm telling people, do you need to buy grains here? Uh, <laughs> until we see that crop problem, I'm looking for any kind of buy signal, even if I don't think we're having a crop problem. <laughs> okay. All right. I right. don't want to <laughs> be the fool that talked about it and then wasn't there. Uh, to be on board. Right. With it. Yeah. <laughs> so if I have to buy the grains and later sell them, hey, I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll deal with that later. Um, and and so I'm in the grain markets. We got some signals coming up here in a few weeks here, and I want to be I want to be in. And so if it occurs, but I also think it's going to be one of those things that'll be over quickly. I don't think we're going to see a 73, 74 bull market, 83, 84 bull market, 95, 96. Been a long time. It could occur. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. We get the crap problem this year. I think it's up for a month or two, a huge amount, and then it's all over. And next year would be a great crop. And uh, and I think the same for the rest of the world, uh, frankly. And uh, so we'll see. We'll just have to deal for those moments here. But I'm not picking anything yet globally here that we're really on our way for a problem. But this some of this weather stuff is it's different. I, I mean, I saw a global chart of SST. That's a temperature measurement in the oceans. And it's record high. I guess they only go back to 1981 or something like that. It's record high. So I said, well, what does that mean? Is there predictability here? And. I found that uh, the last record high, I think, was in 2016. Well, we actually had decent crops in. So it wasn't a signal, but that's only one event. I I don't know how much confidence to put into that, um, but I'm not convinced it's suggesting a crop problem this year. The fascinating thing is, though, in 2017, my R model uh, was correct that we had a problem for soybeans and wheat. And that was one year after that record ocean temperature. Is that a clue that, yeah, we got that record right now, but we're going to get the crop problem next year? I don't know. There's a not, not enough sampling, if you will, to statistically say there's something of high probability. Um, but there's definitely some evidence out there that we've got to consider. Uh, it is time for a problem somewhere in the world. And and to me, the U.S. is, is on the list. It, it can occur this year or next. So, yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's uh, 
there's a lot up in the air right now when it comes to looking at what's happening in the overall spectrum of how weather's going to play out. Um, Sean, see, I guess as you're looking at this, Rich, and you're and you're putting together kind of your thoughts on on where things are headed, as you take a look at um, the various um, aspects of of just the overall three to five year picture of what you're talking about. You've you've laid a pretty good plan out there. Hey, you know what? It's going to be, I feel like it's going to get better. And you've talked about how going through the next three to five years, you know, like 28, 29, that it should be pretty good. But you're starting to see into the 2030s that there could be some, some major issues there. What are some of those issues that you're paying attention to now? What are some of the signs that you're looking for that, that as those check off there towards the latter part of this decade? Yeah, it's primarily the number of fluctuations and a lot of this economic data and even business statistics, uh, but also of prices. And it's just not complete when we look at the entire history of the U.S. how this worked. Some of these, the, the, the most important decade-long business cycle I follow, and my primary focus on my podcasting is I want to know what's going on for the decade, during the decade. And then during the year, that's the primary focus. The second focus is what's going on during the month, for the month, uh, during the week, maybe during the day. And then the least important forecast is what are we doing during the day, but also on the other end of the spectrum, what are we doing for super cycles? Like what's going on for multiple decades? Uh, so that's how I approach that. And and so my I feel like I'm the greatest value to people who want the biggest moves during the year for business, the economy, the stock market, commodities, not so much what's going on day to day, but I give them my best input on that or best opinion of that and some signals. And as I look at the development here, what we need to do is grow this economy larger than what we are now. So I don't have specific levels. It's more of a range and a lot of what-if scenarios going on here. I can put it in a time perspective because that's what's the beauty of these business cycles that's different than all the other forms of analysis is it gives us a general idea when are we going to get to the point that we don't want to or we cannot grow our businesses. We can't spend the money. We can't borrow the money or we don't want to. And sometimes it's just because things are too expensive. Sometimes we just don't have our balance sheets right or accounting right. Sometimes we're just saying things just aren't right. We just don't want to do it. And the model saying sometime around the year 2028 to 2031, we're going to get to that point. And let me give you a, an example that it worked. In 2009, uh, March 2009, the, the month of the bottom for the stock market, I said, be bullish the stock market to 2018 to 2021. And then we've got to look for a problem. There's going to be a storm coming. And June of 2009, I called the bottom in the uh, economy. And I said, it's going to grow. And gosh, by 2011, 2012, people were so bearish and the politicians so crazy. Oh, the end of the world's coming. And we had indicators showing people were betting on the downside of the stock market worse than they did in the financial crisis. And they were wrong. And I, it was tough on me. I was nervous. But I said, they're going to be wrong. They don't understand the business cycle. And they were wrong. By 2015, 2016, they woke up and then kept buying stocks into 2018. 
Then we ran into the virus pandemic recession. History repeated. Entirely different recession than I'd ever seen. And that's what I warn people with this analysis. Sometimes we can't get the story right or the details of the story right, but it doesn't matter because we know the time when the bad story is coming. And so history repeated. We got the recession. And so as it gets near the end of the decade, I'm looking for a 20 to 50% drop in the stock market. So that's what we have always done for the history of this country. And I don't see anything changing that. I, The Fed Reserve, I suppose, could act so fast that they print money so fast to maybe cancel and it doesn't work. But so far, they have not been able to do that. And I don't think they will. And uh, so I think history will repeat. Frankly, I think it's not going to be all that serious, but I have information that suggests it may be. And we'll have a greater understanding, hopefully, as uh, as we get there. But for people who are concerned, well, if the end of the world's coming at the end of the decade, I'm not saying that, but I, you know, I fully understand people might say, well, 20 or 50% down is the end of the world. So um, I yeah, we have to keep in mind the stock market for the history has been more than 50% up to more, something like 360% up during the decade. Yeah. And I think I think we're gonna see. I think we've got quite a bit higher to go in the stock market in the next few years here, uh, even with the politics, even with our bad behavior. <laughs> okay. My, you know, it's, it's kind of strange looking at this because you look at it and I, I'm, our politics are screwed up. Our religions are screwed up. Our philosophy is screwed up. Our, our social media, how we treat one another, our behavior. I'm thinking, why wouldn't this stock market drop 90%? <laughs> okay, right. Right. We, yeah. we don't deserve good times. And yet the weird thing is every morning, we all go to work, and this is the best way I can explain this. And you've asked me, why does this, why do these business cycles work even during the tough times here? We go to work every day, and we may hate our boss, we may hate our job, but we're going to work. And Americans are pretty good at putting in a dead, good day's work. And it's shocking to me. Uh, I didn't realize this. I have the data going in the model, yet sometimes I don't print a chart out of everything, and I'm more visual. I need a chart. And I just saw a chart somebody put out, and the productivity of our American workers just soared in the last 20 or 30 years, but their paychecks did not soar. They went up, but they didn't get a fair treatment like the generations of the 1950s, 1960s, even back to late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, I can see why some people are upset. Uh, fascinating uh, moment. So we've been productive. They've been getting the work done and we've been developing the technology to help them get the work done. And that's something else we'll have to discuss in the future here with all the robots and AI though. Uh, um, you know, is that going to hurt labor more here? And right. yet we, re and yet we remain productive. Uh, somebody's apparently going to make the money, but not everybody apparently. Um, I, um, I do see these issues uh, coming down the road here that we'll have to deal with. But right today, people are going to go to work. At the end of the day, they're going to spend the money they made. And the wheels of commerce are going to turn. And these companies continue to make the money. And they make good profits, better profits than any generation before. It's kind of a rigged system. They got us. They're going to make those big profits. They're not going to pass the money on to us. And that's why you got to invest in the stock market because the stock market picks up on that. And and tries to get a piece of that, if you will. Okay. Yeah. And uh so uh <clears throat> I just I'm sorry, I I realize there's some people out there with good track records. They've put some good information on how things are not good, things are gonna fall apart at any moment. But as I look deeper for those who've been at it for 40 years, I find they go through many years of being wrong. 
and they've been wrong to the moment. They're going to be wrong for a few more years is my best forecast. And I manage all my own money. I do not put money with others as diversification and I deal with my own mistakes and this works the best for me. And I don't, I just don't see anybody else offering me something uh, better, you know? And uh, so I'll stick with the forecast that we got better times coming. We're, we're working through this and I wouldn't be surprised come June um things are going to really start to pick the pace up into the end of the year for the stock market at least i think the economy might lag uh, i don't know three months and then you're going to see it picking its pace up i think the economy is going to be doing quite well next year um and i just i just don't see the evidence to say well we got to go on hold here the only thing that can really mess this up now for me is whether or not we go into default, and that's an entirely different issue. <laughs> that's uh, that's serious, okay? And uh, but for the moment, the best forecast is we won't do that. So, so look, okay, let's talk about that real quick, and then we'll wrap it up. So, um, looking at at the default situation, we wake up tomorrow morning and hard no on on raising the debt ceiling. We're not gonna not gonna do that. Um, immediately, the dollar, well kind of drops we'll talk about that a little bit too i guess that's where we're at now but dollar drops uh goes crazy um i mean there's short term you'd see some pretty bad things but long term if the dollar does drop the way it does does really drop down when you start looking at exporting grain and, and oil and everything else that we got in the united states all of a sudden that that really becomes pretty um uh, you know pretty uh, cost prohibitive or cost uh People are going to want to do that because there's going to be, you know, that dollars you, when you start looking at that. But the other thing is, is the, is the uh, reserve status of the dollar and what that looks like and how that hinders kind of props up what we're doing here in the United States. So I guess, I guess, give me your your best scenario. What happens if we don't raise the debt ceiling? Yeah, that's um, that's a mixed picture though on the export because. You're right. If that dollar takes a nosedive, that makes our products cheaper. And other countries could say, well, that's U.S.'s problem. They'll fix it. They'll be okay. And therefore, this is a bargain time to buy U.S. commodities. And it should be. The problem is that the U.S. is so large in the global financial, uh, what do I want, a community, okay? Um that it'll create a contagion it's going to bring down china it's going to bring down the eurozone just little just us all by itself so um i would tend to think at first somebody ought to jump in there and buy our our commodities but i think over time they'll get nervous where their own economy is going to go and how much do they really want to buy and so that's this could really throw a monkey wrench (laughs) into the machine here when on one hand, yeah, we really ought to sell a lot of products. And and then the old saying is, well, lower dollars kind of inflationary and it helps commodities, this and that. It could very well do it. I, I definitely want to be looking out for that. But I'd be a little nervous that can go the other way in a sense. People say, gosh, we'd really like to buy those U.S. commodities. They're looking dirt cheap. Um, but then they're nervous about their own economy. They're going to see their own stock market collapse. I mean, I'll tell you what, you watch the stock market overnight. If the U.S. futures are down hard, it just you'll see 30 countries around the world, their stock markets are down. Right. So it occurs that fast 
U.S. goes down, the world's going down. You know, there's old saying, uh, if the U.S. sneezes, the world catches a cold. Well, I don't know if that's really the right way of looking at it these days, but it's with it's a strong connection there. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel as though it should be a good time to sell U.S. commodities, but I can see that can backfire, not not turn out as the way we would like. Yeah, that's the that's the thing I think that people talk about. Oh, this this is the doomsday thing. You know, if we don't do this, that, and the other thing, and blah 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 blah. The U.S. dollar is so interwoven into the entire world's economy that you can't just pull one thread out and and make it go away. You've got to burn the whole shirt. To make That's it. right. That's right. When you hear a country suddenly using uh, a different currency than the U.S. dollar, people get excited. But if you really watch how the world of currency trades, they don't care. Uh, so it's going to take a massive change for the world to, you know, the, the world itself has to give up on the dollar, not, not a, just a, f- a few countries. And if you look at the history of countries over the past 500 years and billionaire Ray Dalio has done some very nice work on this. Uh, he's published his, his thinking on this and, um, you know, he believes that the dollar is getting old. Okay. We've, our country's old now. And it's just time for someone else to step in. But the how I view it um, is it could take 100 years to do that. So I don't want to overreact to this anti-dollar business. People around the world use the dollar to do business. They may not like us. They may be nervous that we're a little nutsy <laughs> and whether or not they want to do business. But at the same time, in the end, they got to use that greenback. So we're okay for quite a while on that, but I think there's probably an evolutionary process where future generations someday may wake up that, you know, the dollar isn't worth what it used to. And then unfortunately they're going to wake up. They can't print money as easy as we are today. So that can tighten things up, but I'm not convinced that's any kind of a end of world scenario, frankly, but it could be, you look, you look back 500 years, you find countries that did that. France did that. Printed money like crazy, built palaces like crazy. The queen was happy, dappy. Next thing you know, the country's broke. <laughs> so, and and wheat. Uh, how can I put this? Wheat in today's terms would be like a fifty dollars a bushel. You know, it's like um, those things could still happen. But in the more developed nations, I I don't think it can really get that crazy. And again, I think this uh, anti-dollar stuff is going to be a very long process that may yet be proven right, but. Uh, not today, but a default thing, uh, that could prove them right temporarily. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So la- last question here. So when you're looking at, um, you look around the world right now and you take, you start looking at demographics and you start listening to demographers and those kind of things. Um, the Americas have, have the, the best population mix as you start looking at the amount of people that are going to, that are can come in and replace an old generation. You start looking at Asia, Asia has the worst possible demographics on the planet. And then you start looking at places in Europe and they're, they're somewhere between really good and really bad, but mostly on the bad side. So, you know, as you look at that kind of that question is, so if who, who's the next person to come in, is it a, is it a digital currency? Is it a, is it a Bitcoin style thing? I guess as you look at that, Rich, what's your thoughts there? And, and or have you even given that any thought? I've given it some thought. I I don't know. Um, it feels like, yeah, eventually it'll be a digital currency, even with all the central banks around the world. Not in a sense there's something 
you know, safer about it or value, but more in a sense to help us just do business, do transactions, you know, a handful of money is kind of awkward to work with these days. You know, as you can see, our money is converted to credit cards, mm-hmm. uh, debit cards. Well, why not have the next step of it's digital? I mean, even in Africa, some nations have already moved to something like a crypto where they can just use their phones to buy and sell everything. It's just an extension of a credit card. So I think crypto can go in that direction just to be transactional business. Now, if you're going to look at crypto as an investment or something to trade, I still have qualms that there's really nothing to it yet anyways. If we build that transactional business where we're going down and buying the next sofa for our house and we just always use crypto, we no longer use our cash dollars or even our credit cards, that it's more of a credit card that's crypto. Now you've got enough business going on that it it, it may have those fundamentals and economics that, yes, indeed, it's, it's, it's kind of a store of value and will act like today's currencies that you can trade and invest in. In the meantime, I'm concerned that trading investment, it's kind of like the Wild West. You know, you can make a lot of money and you can lose a lot of money in it. And I also don't trust the individual cryptos. There's too many of them. Uh, and we've already seen some go under, go bankrupt, and we're probably going to see more. So in my opinion, this digital currency, the safer one will be the central banks offering uh, a digital uh, currency, a crypto. And that may compete against the current cryptos in the sense that uh, they always will be this thing to play with. And the real crypto that can have lasting value and stay there will be the the current currencies that are just happen to be digitalized. Okay. Right. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but so yeah. not an expert in that, but I, that's kind of how I feel like, yeah, yeah. It, can, it can evolve there. But um, I just don't, from a trading perspective, I think it's more gambling in the in the crypto yeah. right now. Then, so what you're saying is basically that, and this is what I've heard a lot of experts talk about is like, yeah, crypto, there is value there, but it's you can't do anything with it. I mean, there's so it, you're so limited as to what you can actually spend that money on and invest that in. You can you can take your crypto and turn it into dollars and then go buy something with it, right? But you can't take your crypto unless you're buying a tesla or exactly something you know yeah uh, something like that there's very few places you can do that where as if you were to have a digital back currency from a from a government then that government says okay cool we're we're accepting this as tender now and you can go buy groceries with it at the local grocery yeah yeah and that could be an easy easy shift and the fed reserve has been looking into it. they've been discussing they might do something like that soon I've, I've fallen behind on what they're really doing there but uh they've been researching that for a few years now and 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 that would be just an extension, something easy uh, that they could do. Yeah. And uh, so I don't doubt that's probably coming. I mean, it's kind of boiling. I mean, you even look with the people already. I uh, know uh, they're using their phones to buy things, and we're just replacing the credit card. It's still a credit system, is all it is. But um, you know, you use your phone on the on the reader at the store instead of getting out your plastic card. And that's why why not the next step to digitalize the u.s dollar right and um if anything that may create um a little support to that it's going to take even longer for the anti-dollar people to become right because the world will be even more solidified that hey you know i'm I'm using the dollar now and now i can even use it to digitalize so yeah yeah 
And that opens up all kinds of conspiracy theories too on top of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, all right, Rich, good stuff as usual. Great place to stop right there. If uh, folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing, talk a little bit about your podcast real quick and where they could find that at. Yeah, go to criticalpointpod.com. That's my home site. There's information about myself, modeling. I do a little bit of blogging, trying to get better discipline to give away a little free blogging there. But um, but there are links that'll take you to sign up as a subscriber. There's a link that takes you to my pod host uh, site, a company I've hired where I put up all the videos, the audio, some free, mostly are locked up for subscribers. And it only costs, what, 29 bucks or so a month. And when you sign up, you uh, the billing doesn't start for two weeks. So if you cancel in two weeks, uh, it didn't cost you anything. But um, I think you're going to find once you start it, you want to give it a few months to a year and you're probably going to be on board. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, assistance I can provide here for this decade. It's going to be an exciting decade. And I discuss everything from a very short-term basis to a very long-term basis. So there's a little something there for every kind of investor. I even have people business-wise who really are interested in the stock market in the sense of making money out of it. They're just interested in what does the stock market mean along with the economy because they're interested in where their businesses are going. So even though I talk a lot of the stock market, they want that focus of uh, what's this mean for business and economy. And I do look at gold and interest rates. And I look at some a little bit of climate weather stuff. I look at the grains and oil. That's about it for commodities. Though I used to track 30 commodities decades ago. And the older I get, I had to whittle it down. So, <laughs> and uh, so I have my favorites, which are uh, grains and uh, and oil and gold and, uh, and, and mostly the financial markets there. So I'm updating uh, morning briefs, audio or videos, try to keep them as short as possible. I have a weekly update for the grains, a weekly update for the stock market and commodities. Those can get lengthy at times, 30 or 40 minutes, but I'm looking at everything from short-term, long-term. The beauty of taking the time to watch a video is you can see on a chart how well is the model done, and you can see how the market fluctuates, right? and the model's right in line with it, tracking it well. So it gives you encouragement to our confidence, if you will, that for that next signal, you want to take it, you want to be on board, and I will pull out alerts, okay? Now, um, there are some things, trends that I don't alert on, but at least if you're watching the video, you may want to take part of those. And even if you say, you know what, I don't want to change my investment here, or I don't want to change the hedge on my commodity, but at least Rich is saying it's going to go against me for a few weeks, Least, least Rich is giving me an idea. How long is my account going to go down? <laughs> okay, and uh, yeah. and and what I've learned is it gives people discipline to say, but I'm going to go for that bigger move that Rich's model are is forecasting, right? And I do the same thing myself. I don't trade every swing. I used to trade all kinds of things. I, I would buy during the day, also buy during the week, also buy for months on end. Uh, today, I, I prefer to go after the bigger trends during the year. I call myself more of a trophy hunter. I, I want the the big animal with the big horns, as well as put meat on the on the table. You know, <laughs> so and granted, day trading is a lot of fun, and I know some people make a lot of money out of it, and my models are very helpful with that. But these days, hey, I, I want my model watching the market for me, and I want to get a, go out on my tractor and plow some land and plant some trees, and <laughs> and I want my phone to tell me, uh oh. You better get your butt back in the office there. Uh, you got something to take care of. 
And uh, so that's how I work it. That's what I do. And I've been at this. I used to work for some major global companies and energies and grains. And it was fascinating. Even the executives more on the money side would come see me and visit. And we would discuss the economy. And pretty soon they're asking me, you know, send a separate email out about the economy, stock market. Let us know what you think of this stuff. And it just taught me when it was time for me to say, hey, I want to be back on my own. I just said, create this podcast, do a mixture, commodity stocks. Don't do the separate things like some people do. Throw it out there. Give them a, you know, in my opinion, it's a cheap price. But the reason I did that is I don't put out a newsletter. And newsletters are very time consuming. You need editors to make sure you talk and write intelligently. Whereas people will forgive me on a video if I don't talk intelligently. <laughs> if I use bad grammar on a video, they don't care. Okay. Yep. But in a newsletter, you're paying money for it. It ought to look fantastic. Well, that's it's very time consuming. I've done it. I've worked for newsletter companies many years ago. And we had I had as many as like six editors going through. Uh, what I would write. And I could see the value in that. Uh, but I'm done with that. I have more things to do in life. <laughs> so um, no newsletter, and I don't put out databases and things like this. But uh, my pod host does keep several months of videos, audios, if you want to go back, double check something, see if see how it works. But uh, that's what I do. Again, grow to criticalpointpod.com. You can also uh, ping me, direct message me on uh, Twitter. It's uh, at rich underscore possum, P-O-S-S-O-N. And uh, I'll uh, do my best to contact you. I also have email at rich at ag-financial.com. I'll do my best to uh, have a conversation with you, answer some questions. And and don't be afraid to throw an idea at me, too, if you think... Uh, you disagree with me as long as you have a sound um, idea. You know, I don't want to hear, oh, you're an idiot, <laughs> which people love to do on social media. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I won't I won't answer to that. Yeah. But uh, if you have uh, an idea of why you think something could take a different twist or I haven't thought of something, hey, I love to hear that. Yeah. So. Right on. Okay, Rich. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Hey, thank you for having me on, Casey. So. Look forward to next month. Very good. Me too. All right. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and go over to the YouTube channel. Where you can see the video version of this on the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out there. Uh, Moving Iron Summit is coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Go to movingironllc.com for all the information about that and for everything Moving Iron related. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Boston. Let's move smart, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. 
create connected customer experience, and transform how you work. Hard work.